Revelation chapter 3 tonight, and we're going to look at the church of Sardis and probably Philadelphia, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot with, with either, but there is something here later on in chapter 3 verse 11 dealing with the church of Philadelphia that I want to stop and just look at that for a while and give you a little bit of an idea of you know what that's talking about because in Christianity I have found over the years that there are certain terms and words that Christians use and sometimes they don't really have an understanding of what the term even means. They will assume a certain thing or think a certain thing and I try not to assume a lot, and we all form a picture of things in our mind. You know, the words paint a picture, and we, we have a, a, a view of that. But unless we can really get into the word and see some of the words and, and relate that maybe to some other scripture and have the Lord actually reveal certain things to us and see how scripture compares to scripture we may very well, and this happens frequently, come away with the meaning of a certain thing that is not quite correct. You may have a small view of it, and then you have those that have no clue. Uh, there are people who have gone off into all kinds of error because of one thing that they, they heard in the scriptures, and now they build a doctrine all around that. And that's where they, they move. For example, uh, functioning under the law. Do you know there are Christians that actually teach that we are to function by the law? So, I mean, there's all kinds of things out there. But anyway, we'll look at something that um, you may or may not have uh, studied or actually heard taught. Okay, let's start with verse 1 here. And unto the, <clears throat> unto the angel or the pastor of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. That's how the King James reads. Now let me read uh, these verses from two other translations. I know all the things you do, Jesus said. And you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. What a church may think of itself or what others may think of a church or what some may think of a pastor or, or what have you, that they are godly, that they are moving in God, that you know, they have the, the truth, they, they're moving in the right way. Jesus cuts through all that stuff. And, you know, people can build up a reputation. For example, you can go on TV and radio, you can be very widely known for a particular book or what have you, and you can have a re reputation and you may think that things are just fine with that individual or you might be the person and th think things are fine. And the Lord can come and say, you have a reputation that you are alive, that you have life, but you are dead. And qu that's quite an indictment of the individual spiritually. To have the Lord come and say, you have a reputation that you are alive, that men say you are alive, but I'm saying that you are dead. 
that the life of God is not moving in you. That's quite something. So he goes on, he says, wake up, strengthen what little remains. So you can see that the pastors and some of these churches were not moving in the way that was pleasing to the Lord. They were not faithful. They were not um, moving in a way to obtain the life that the Lord had for them, the greater, uh, the abundant life. See, we can be a Christian. We can function and do the normal things that Christians should do. You know, go to church, read your Bible, pray, um, help your neighbor, and all that. But see, that is not the basis. Any work that we do is not the basis of life. See, the Lord, Jesus Christ, has to be the foundation, he has to be the basis, and he has to be the focal point of our heart and life so that we are receiving that which is new and that, well, not new, but that which is new to us, that which is alive, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is presently preceding out of the mouth of God, so that if you are not connected to the Lord spiritually, then you are not going to be able to presently receive what is proceeding now out of his mouth, so that you may be at work or school or wherever you go, and there you are, and the Lord has this channel to your heart and life. You're open to him, and you have directed your life in a certain way that you have uh, opened your heart to receive more of him. So there you are, and you're not thinking maybe even about the Lord, and he comes in a certain way to show you something about yourself or to teach you through your circumstance or whatever he does. Or you decide you're going to look something up in the word, and all of a sudden it's like, it's right, it comes right off the page, and it's like life. Now, out from that is to proceed what you do, see, what you do, your works, all that is to proceed from what you are or what you have become. That's why you see in various places in the Bible, Jesus says, I will make you to become fishers of men. See, there's a process. He's in the making process. Um, he's the potter. We are the clay. So that there is to be a process going on in our life as we hold our life and our heart before the Lord and, and walk on with Him. The process begins and continues where we are in a place spiritually where we can receive from Him what He wants to give us. And when we receive from Him what He wants to give us, then we'll begin to move into a a more full area of the life that he has desired to give us. And so with the pastor and with the church, he comes out and he says certain things like this, like, wake up, strengthen what little remains. Well, why is there just a little bit remaining? See, if we are not connected to the Lord, then we will not progress. We will not continue on. We will actually become like a pool that is stopped up. The Lord can't put more in, 
and, and our life is not flowing out because we are not connected to the Lord, and that is because He is not the focus of our heart and life. Other things may be, other people may be, whatever, anything can be. And so the church here gets in trouble, and the pastor gets in trouble when there is not a connection there in spirit. Then what happens is all we have is religion. All we have is the law. We function, and you see this all the time. You know, going to church is more than going to church. Reading your Bible should be more than reading your Bible, if you know what I mean. There's to be life there. You are to be open, and, and the Lord should be pouring things into you. Now, not every single minute of the day, but you are walking and, and you are growing because of the position of your heart and how that is poised toward the Lord. And now you don't have to worry about becoming less and less and less and less and less. Like he says, strengthen the little that remains. You won't have to be concerned about that because the Lord is, is giving you more and more and you're, you're growing. Think about this. How old are you? 21. How old are you? 45. How many meals have you eaten in 45 years? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> well, you know, think about, you think about that. We need feeding constantly, first of all, to grow physically, and then to maintain our body, we must eat. You know, two, two meals a day, three meals a day, however many meals a day we eat. Now, now, you have to understand this same principle applies in spirit. If you think, how many here eat once a week? Not one person. So you cannot go to church and feed once a week and think you're, you're going to be fine. So you'll be starving spiritually. Now, you may not think that, but in order to grow the way the Lord wants, we're getting back to this heart poise. You have to have your heart moving toward the Lord. You have to have Him as your focus. Now, so you're home and maybe you're tired, you don't read. So that's okay. It's no big deal. The Lord still can put things into your heart and life. He can still work. So you can receive from Him. There's been many times I've been at work and something comes in my head, a scripture or whatever, and I'll have to go and write that down, or some, some thought, I'll write it down, and then later on, when I get time or when I come home, I'll, I'll look, look at that and find out where it is in the Bible or whatever. But see, the Lord can continue to teach us. He can continue to uh, feed us in a way in which we will continue to grow. Another translation says, you are supposed to be alive, but in reality you are dead. Rouse yourself and keep awake and strengthen and invigorate what remains and is on the point of dying. So maybe they, they were in this place where they were involved with everything, all kinds of activity. How much activity is there in the course of a week's time? that we all have to, you know, you go to work, you do this, you do that, you shovel snow, you cut the grass, lots of activities. 
Some people go to bingo. I mean, whatever it may be. I'm not saying to go to bingo. <laughs> Please. <answer>. Uh, good. <laughs> but the point is there's plenty of activities that can actually take up our heart. Uh, and, and TV is another thing. We can, we can watch so much TV to where that becomes place, takes place of the Lord. What the Lord, the place that the Lord should have in our heart, he does not have. And then we can end up in trouble. So in verse 2, he says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are, are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. So your works are not complete before God. Not doing the works of the Lord or the works that the Lord desires. He says your works are not complete. They're not what they should be. Matthew, turn to Matthew 7. And I've used this example before. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? See, so they, they actually were doing things. They were out there performing works. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And people will say, well, that, that's because they weren't Christians. No, that's not it at all. If they actually cast out devils, what did Jesus say about that? He said, a kingdom um, divided against itself cannot stand. So by Satan, you cannot cast out Satan. See, so it's not that they weren't Christians. The problem was, and then he goes on and says, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. It's that they were not doing the correct works. They weren't doing what the Lord desires. It's not that the Lord doesn't want those things done, but he doesn't use everybody to do the same thing. Not everybody's going to be doing the same work. The work he has for you may be different than the work he has for someone else. So it's important to allow the Lord to lead us into what it is that he wants us to do. Not just say, well, now I'm a Christian, I want to go here and do this or do that. No, that's not it at all. I want to go prophesy, I'm going to go cast out demons in the name of Jesus because I'm a Christian. No, you let him lead you. See, we are to be led of the Spirit, it says in Galatians 5. And the word led is a passive voice verb, which means you are not the one that's, that's initiating that. You are the one receiving the a- action. So in other words, the action of the Spirit upon you leading you. See, so it's different. It's not you doing it. It's, it's being led of the Spirit. That's what that chapter's dealing with. That's what that chapter's... <coughs> All but. So he says here that your works, to them, your works are not what they should be. They're not complete. They aren't what the Lord desired, I believe, is what he was saying. And then they were without the correct motives of the heart. See, the motives by which we do certain things is very important. You know, why do you do what you do? And not just in church, I'm just talking about in general. Well, I'm going to go over and shovel my neighbor's walk so that maybe next month when it snows, he owes me one. And if I don't feel like doing it, 
That is a very, very common mode of thinking. You owe me one, you hear it all the time. Don't do something for someone because later on they owe you one. Don't do something for the Lord but think he owes you. It doesn't work that way. So the motives of the heart for what we do is very important. And see, it is the Spirit of God that can come and use his word to get down between a soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and he can bring to you, he discerns the intents of the heart, the Bible says, and he will show you what is going on with you, if you want to see it, for the purpose that we would correct that particular thing, so that the motives of our heart, the reason we do certain things, is correct. So the Lord comes to these churches not because he does not love them, because uh, later on in, I think, the church of Laodicea, he says, those I love, I chasten and rebuke. So if the Lord chastens and rebukes you, that means he, he's dedicated to you. He loves you. If he comes in and tells me, hey, look at that attitude you had toward that person. And he has done that on occasion with me. And I said, okay, Lord, I see that. You know, forgive me and let's continue on and correct this thing. Well, that's why he, he comes to begin with. He doesn't come to condemn you. He doesn't come because he doesn't like you. He doesn't come because he wants to nitpick. He comes because he sees your spirit. He knows who you are. He knows what's in you. And he wants that which is there to be what it is to be so that you become what you are to become. And without the Lord coming to us individually and shining the light in our heart, we would continue on the rest of our life the way we are. There would never be a change in us. Never. Who's going to just say, oh, you know what? I think today I'm going to work on my attitude. And tomorrow I'm going to work on some other area of my life. You know, how I talk to someone. We don't do that, do we? No, we just go and we function the way we've always functioned since we've been a kid. And we think that's normal. Well, it may be normal for the carnal nature, it may be normal for the world, but see, now you're a Christian, it's not going to be normal anymore, because the Lord's going to get involved with you, and when the Lord gets involved with us, it's the best thing ever, because He can take and bring out from us what we could not, and He can change things that we could never change. We're powerless to change certain things. That's why in 1 John it says, Whatsoever is birthed or born of God doth not sin. The Lord gets involved with you, and there is a change there in a certain area, and there's a birth that you no longer have what you had before. It's like you're a new person in that area again, and now, now you're not sinning in that, in that particular area at all. So the Lord's pretty good, and... It's nice that he cares about you so much that he will come to you in various ways to help you rid yourself of what you could not rid yourself of before. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. 
So he's interested in changing the motives of the heart. So that's why he deals with them. That's why he says this in verse 2. Where I have not found thy works perfect before God. Something's not quite right there. What's going on with that isn't right. Verse 3. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So the word repent here is singular, and I think it's only singular in a couple places. And I, I think that this is specifically referring to the pastor. That's why it's in the, the singular form here. But he says here in verse 3, it says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. How? The word how there means the manner or in what way you received. How was it that you received? What way did you receive in the beginning, he's asking him. So, okay, let's wind the clock back here for our lives for a little bit here. When the gospel was first preached to you and I, for me, there was a response I became, in my heart, I, I was down. I, wasn't, I was up, up here, you know, in, in pride. The Lord was able to bring me down to the place where I could receive what the Lord had done for me, and I became a Christian. I was born again. So what type of heart is he talking about here as far as the pastor is concerned? Now turn to Mark. Hold your place there. Turn to Mark 10, verse 15. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. He's talking about the kingdom of God, not, not heaven, remember. So how is it that they are receiving? They are receiving as a little child. And a little child has an innocence... A little child has a heart that is really soft and open. You get a little kid, you know how you do in your class? And it's like, oh, you know, you talk, yeah. It's like everything's excited about, you know, it's life. Oh, I'm all excited. And it's like they're very, very open to things. That's why I think that the Lord tries to put things in people when they're young because they're much more receptive than when they get older. When you get older, people think they know everything. And when you think you know everything, you leave little room for God to teach you. So it doesn't matter how old we are, how long we've been a Christian. We all need to have a heart like a little child where we are teachable, to where we are soft and pliable in the hands of the Lord. So he says here, uh, in, back in Revelation, do you remember the manner... Or how you received, see, and and you and you heard. How did you receive and heard and and hear in the beginning? See, with a soft heart. Very important. Having a soft heart will bring to you personally many things from the kingdom of God. They'll be brought to you because the Lord. See, He doesn't cast His pearl. You know that before swine there are certain things the Lord cannot show and give certain people 
And the reason, or one of the reasons, is that their heart is not soft enough to receive it. And so he, he doesn't, he just doesn't bring and give things to certain, just to anybody. You know, oh, I'm going to receive it, yeah, and then you're going to go out and get in, into some adulterous situation. No. See, the Lord wants us to have a soft heart so that he can bring to us <coughs> that of the kingdom that he desires to give us. See, he ha he's prepared a kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom is here. You can move in kingdom principles now. But there's a lot more to the kingdom than even what we read here. So how's God going to take these things and, and put them, deposit them in us? Well, he can do it. He really can. But if we're not receptive to him and we're, our hearts aren't soft, then he's going to have a very difficult time doing that if he can do it at all. So there are certain things that certain individuals will not get. They won't, they won't get it because... Of where they are. There are certain things in spirit that certain people just don't get. And it doesn't matter how long they've sit in, sit in church. You can sit in church for 20 years. It's just there are certain things that must be going on with you. You need to be under the right type of um, revelation the spirit of wisdom and revelation coming out. You sit under that with an open heart, and eventually you'll start getting things. It's not about studying the Bible. I study the Bible a lot, probably more than anybody here. But it's not about studying the Bible. That's not it. We can study. You can know the Greek. There are people that know Greek and Hebrew but do not have certain revelation. Why? Because the language in and of itself isn't the answer either. The Lord can come and teach us, and if we are sitting under the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and we have a heart open to that, then he can bring what he wants and deposit that. And we will not, listen to this, please, we will not understand it when we hear it. We won't. We may think we do. But in order for us to have a revelation of certain things, it may take five or ten years or so. Uh, there's things that I heard years ago, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I see that. I didn't really see it. It took ten years for me to get it. I mean, to really see it and get it. And, and when, I, when I say get it, I mean it in here, to where uh, I, I see this, Lord, Okay, let's, let's go. Let's move with this thing now. But the, the, the thing is good is that you heard it and you received it. Then the Lord, you know, that's, that's the best thing because now he can work. And it may take a while. So if you don't get things, that's fine. I used to always, and this is how I used to envision this. I used to have this, this little file cabinet here next to me, right? And whenever I'd hear certain things I didn't understand, I'd say, okay, Lord, I'm going to file that. And pull it up the drawer and put it in there and, and move on. And later on, the Lord comes and said, hmm, remember this here? I'm going to show you now what this is. 
and I'm going to have it operate in your life. I thought, really? <laughs> wow. Isn't that something? So it's important to see and remember how we're, we are to receive, but the way we should have received in the very beginning. So he says this, Remember, therefore, how you, had, you have received and heard. And hold fast. Hold fast to what? I believe he's meaning holding fast, or one of the things he means is holding fast to that type of a heart condition, to where you're soft and you're able to receive from the Lord. Hold fast. Not, you know, hold fast, I'm going through a difficult thing. That may be the case. But hold fast to the heart condition that you have, hopefully, that, that soft heart. Don't let anybody harden your heart or things. Things can harden our hearts. Circumstances of life can harden your heart. Do you know that? Circumstances will either make you bitter or better. That's it. You will become bitter over circumstances or you're going to become better over them, depending upon how you react to them. And so we're back again to the soft heart thing. So the Lord can do, and he wants to continue to do, many, many things in our lives. And so it behooves us to have our heart in a position before him that allows him to continue to work in us and through us. Very, very good. So going back here. When he says, and he, you can see this, follow through this now, I'll continue reading. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. So when he says here, repent, he's talking about going back to a different heart condition. See, that's what happens when you repent. You go from a hard heart to a soft heart, or from maybe a heart that is slightly hardened. Maybe you got off into something as a Christian and you repent, you change the direction. But see, what happens is when, you, when there's this change or you repent, your heart now becomes a little softer than it was before you repented. That's why he says to him, uh, repent, that you're able to receive correctly. See, you can hear truth, true, 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 as true can be, truth, and unless your heart is held before the Lord and you have a pure heart to receive from him, that may not do you any good. How many people do you know have gone to church and you hear the same message as, as another person in the church? This person, it benefits them, and there's a change in their life. They're moving on and so on. And this, church, this person here in the church, there's no change whatsoever. And they come and they leave, they go out, and they go out worse off than they come in, really. So it's not just the truth. The truth is good. The truth is necessary to grow. But that's not it, the whole thing. The other part is the heart that by which you are hearing that truth. And so he's trying to get to this pastor and tell him that he needs to get back to a heart condition that he had had before. That's why he tells him now to repent. Verse 4. Now he goes on. Now he's going to talk about the church. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, 
and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, it's very, very interesting, and it's very nice here, get this, that even though there are those around you that are defiling their garments, you do not have to defile your garment. There, he says there are few here in this church that have not. Well, they were among the many who had defiled their garments for whatever way they did that through sin, I don't know. Whatever way it was, their garments were defiled. So you can't say to the Lord, well, the reason that I'm sinning or the reason my garment is defiled is because of the circumstances I'm in or the people that I'm around or I just did everything that everybody else did in the church. That's not going to be an excuse. Because the Lord looks at individual hearts and life. He is, is looking at individuals here, and he sees the heart. He knows where we are. And so he can say, this group, you have not defiled your garment. Oh, this group here may have defiled. So he knows. So he sees all that. But if you're in a place where those around you are defiling their garments... It does not mean you have to. See, nobody's forcing us to sin. Nobody's forcing us to move in a direction that is incorrect. So we are not judged according, uh, not according, but we're not judged uh, corporally with everyone else in the church. You are judged individually. So it's always an individual thing. Your salvation was an individual thing. You and the Lord. God coming and judging us will be the same. When he sees, he knows what the garment looks like. Let's continue on. He that overcometh. Now, like I said earlier, if you weren't here, you might want to get the CD from last week because we talked about overcoming. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath near to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto, unto the churches. Verse 7. And to the, the pastor of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. So the latter part of that verse there, he says that he, Jesus, can open... And he can shut that which he desires. Now, he doesn't say here, let me see. He doesn't refer in this particular scripture to a door. Now, he does later on to the Laodicean. He talks about him being the door. So, we'll, we'll relate it to both. The Lord can open a door. And when he opens a door for an individual, for you, for me, no man can shut that door. See, we can close the door, I believe, by our will, by our actions. But no other man can do that. So if the Lord opens up something for you personally, and you know that's for you, he opens a door that no man can shut. And when he shuts a door, no man can open it. Now, this, this, can be, this thing right here could be a complete teaching. And we could go into all kinds of things. So just look at a couple of scriptures. Acts 12, verse 16. 
But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to his brethren. And he departed and went into another place. So this is when, I believe it was Peter, was imprisoned. And the Lord literally opened a door. He opened the doors to the prison. And no man could shut them. In 1 Corinthians, just two more scriptures and we'll continue on. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 7. For I will, will not see you now, now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. And this is what Paul says. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Uh, so there was a door there of ministry that opened to the Apostle Paul. And that was a door that the Lord had opened. We know that. And... Then when the Lord opened that door, what did Paul do? When it was open, he went through. That's the purpose of it. The Lord opened something, we're to walk through. The Lord opened up years ago, not that I, I did not want to teach, but the Lord opened the door for me to teach. And what I needed to do was get up from that spot right there. That's where I was. <laughs> And uh, taught. So it, it just depends. You know, the Lord can open up all kinds of things. Or he can close something. And remember, if the Lord closes a door, don't be trying to open it. Just rest in him and just say, okay, that's it. You know, we'll just wait and let it, let it be as it is. is. Uh, 2 Corinthians... So this door here, Paul calls it a great door uh, of ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. For, furthermore, when I came to Troyes to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. So Paul says it again, that the, the Lord opened a door here um, to Troyes to preach the gospel. Remember that you can actually trace this in the scriptures. There are times when Paul did not go, you know, and he went a different, different way, a different direction. That's because the door was not open. Which brings us to the, the thought, how do you know when the door is open? Huh? Well, I can't teach that. You have to learn that. The Lord has to teach you that. When he opens the door, just say, okay, Lord. Let's go see what's going on here. Walk through it. Okay, back to Revelation 3.8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. So there you have the same thing there. So I guess in verse 7 he was referring to door. Some entrance to something may be a better thing. A door, we're thinking of a physical door, aren't we? If I say entrance... It's not necessarily a door, is it? It could be an entrance to a city. There's no big door in front of a city. So maybe a better word there would be entrance. 
I know that works. Behold, I have set before for you an open entrance, <laughs> and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not uh, denied my name. So he says here, thou hast a little strength. The word strength there um, comes from the word dunamis. Okay. Uh, the less strength we have as a Christian, the more strength we have. I like the Bible. The Bible's the best. The Lord's the best. He says all these things that, like, if we think about it, it's like total contradicting. <laughs> but that's because in the natural it may be, but there's a thing there moving in spirit that we don't catch yet. Let me, let me just read this scripture. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, Paul says this, and in, in reproaches and in necessities, in persecutions, in distress. Wow, what? Wait, wait a minute, Paul. You take pleasure in these things? For Christ's sake. He says, now this is what he says. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, the English word weak is not a good translation of the Greek word. Because if I say, you know, I'm feeling weak, I might be sick, right? So if I'm feeling weak, that means that I do have a little bit of strength, right? I'm just feeling weak. But that's not what the Greek word means. The Greek word means no strength. So he's saying that when I have no strength, then I am strong, dunamis, I am powerful. So if you want to be a powerful Christian, you know, you have to have no strength. Yes, no, no strength to do anything. Not just, not just in the flesh, but I mean, no strength to do anything. No strength. Paul was in all these different things, persecutions, infirmities, necessities. And he didn't have physical strength, probably. And he had maybe no spiritual strength that could take him out of them. See, until God came through. And he found that when he was in this place of total weakness, have you ever, has the Lord ever had something before you to do and you felt totally, totally without any strength that you could not do it? So you have to be there to understand that. So the Lord told me, he said, go teach. I said, Lord, I, I can't do that. Ask somebody else. I'm rude of speech. <laughs> He says, I heard that excuse before. <laughs> I said, well, get somebody else. He said, I heard that excuse before, too. <laughs> this isn't working. Oh, my. Really, Lord? Maybe just for, you know, a little while? Yeah, okay, for a little while. Remember, God's little while is not our little while. <laughs> so whenever you feel totally overwhelmed is a good place to be. When I went to the mission field the first time, I could, I could sense the Spirit of God. I don't know even know how to say it, but he was, uh, the word undergirding, he just was there and he lifted me and he, he put me on this bus going cross country, which, which is one experience that I would never necessarily want again. But I had the perfect peace of God. I said, this whole thing is just, we went down there to teach 
pastors. And um, we were going to a seminar, second biggest city in the country, and there was about 20, 20, 25 pastors. And I said, Lord, they should be teaching me. I don't want to teach them. I mean, what am I going to teach these people? They're already pastoring. I'm not even pastoring. But see, he, he made me a teacher. He wanted me to go down and teach. They don't have teaching. I mean, they have pastors, but they don't have teaching. And so I felt totally overwhelmed. But the Lord came and, and strengthened me, and I became, because I had no strength at that time, I became a powerful one. So it's, it's a nice place to be. You can't put yourself there. See, the Lord has to put you there. You can't say, well, I'll, I want to get rid of all my strength now. You, well, you have, you have strength. That's why you're saying that. So you, if you don't have strength, you can't say, even say that. So the Lord puts you in a place, and then he says, okay, now I'm going to show you something. So he says here, you have a little bit of strength, a little bit. Now, he's talking about strength as far as walking in the way, I think, walking in the correct way. Do you know it takes strength to walk as a Christian? And do you know that you don't have enough? They that wait upon the Lord, that's the key, or one of them, one of the keys. There's all kind of keys in the Bible. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. That's a, that's a key. They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew. What's the word renew me? You know? The word renew. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They, they, shall, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk, shall walk and not faint. The word renew means to exchange. So they that wait upon the Lord. If you wait upon the Lord in your personal circumstance, in your life, I mean, it doesn't matter how you wait, how long you wait. That's, that's, that's not the point. The point is that you have a heart where you're waiting upon the Lord. Then what happens is there is an exchange of your little strength with his strength, the, the, the strength that you do need in your situation. See, there's an exchange. He says, okay, you're waiting. Here, this is what you need. I'm going to give you the strength. So how do you think you're going to get it? So you're not going to have enough yourself. You're not going to read the Bible and say, okay, because I read the Bible, I have enough strength. I'm going to confess the word. I'm going to find all the scriptures in the Bible dealing with strength. I'm going to confess them every day, 100 times. So I'll have strength. You're not going to get it that way either. So you have to go and, and move the way God says. They that wait upon the Lord. So you need to wait upon him. I mean, don't be rash and do what you want when you want and how you want. That's not waiting. But if you wait upon the Lord... Believe me, you'll wait. You will wait. That's what the word wait, W-A-I-T, means wait. They that wait. So get it in your mind and heart. Lord, give me a waiting heart. Because if he gives you a waiting heart, he's going to give you strength. It's like, it's like one and one is two. It's nice. That's what he does. He gives us what we need. So he says there, for when I am weak, then I am, I am strong. Let's continue on. Verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue Satan, Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that, uh, that I have loved thee. That's nice. Verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. So I like that. 
What's the word patience mean? Please, somebody tell me from James' class. The trying of your faith worketh what? Did I hear it? Endurance? Yes! I thought I heard it. Very good. Okay, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures real quick. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Endurance. Oh, yes, I want endurance, Lord. Okay, well, okay, you want endurance. We're going to have to suffer something. Perseverance uh, produces character and character hope. Okay, another scripture. This is uh, Hebrews 10.36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Okay? So this is, he's talking about... um, you have kept the word of my perseverance. This is all linked to different scriptures. You have kept that. You are persevering. Consider it pure joy when you fall into different temptations and tests, knowing that the trying or the testing of your faith works endurance. So you want to keep the word of his endurance. Well, that means you need to pass the tests and the temptations that come to you as a Christian. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. And we all said amen, hallelujah. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Hey, I'm the same as you. I, I can kind of laugh at this because... I've gone through it. I, I know we're all made of the same, right? We all go through things, trials and tests, temptations. Those are all opportunities for us, not for people in the world, not for the Christians that want to get out of every test that they're in. They want the, the quick and short way out. But for us who want to have the character of Christ developed in us, we can stay there and say, okay, Lord, you give me the strength. I will wait upon the Lord and exchange my strength, which isn't enough, for his strength, which is enough to pass the test and the trial and to overcome the temptation, whatever it may be. Okay, verse 11, real quick. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast to that which thou hast, and let no man take thy crown. Okay, now let's stop, and we're going to just look at this real quick. Well, we're going to stay here. It'll be quick, though. We're going to look about uh, look at the scripture when it talks about crowns. Okay, what are crowns? How do you get them? Can you lose them? Are they even relative today to today's Christians? Revelation four, verse ten. Now, when you look at crowns, you will see, I don't want to say different crowns. I guess they're different crowns, but they're probably, they're all related, I would think. Uh, but in, in different scriptures, you will see different words attached to the, the thought there of a crown. We're going to look at those. In 4.10, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying. So they cast them 
They cast their crowns before the throne because they had crowns to cast. You can't cast what you don't have to cast. So that's the first thing. And they're not told here, by the way, to cast their crowns before the throne. They do that because of what they're seeing. They're seeing the Father and they're seeing Jesus Christ upon the throne and, and they are overwhelmed with what they see and hear and they take their crowns and they cast them before the Lord. Now the, the word crown here, there are various meanings, but it means a badge of royalty. It, it's a symbol of two C's in success. Okay. It's a symbol of success. Now, not the success that we see in the world, you know, be a, a successful businessman climbing the corporate ladder, uh, being in business for yourself and you're successful. Not that type of success. This is a totally different type of success. Being a success in Christ means that nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, it's not no longer I that liveth, but Christ. So the life I now live, I live through the faith, or by the faith of Jesus Christ who died for me, Paul says. Having the character of the Lord Jesus Christ developed in you as a Christian brings you to a place of success as a Christian, not just dying and going to heaven. It has nothing to do with it. Another meaning, accomplishment. And then, of course, another meaning is a reward given for outstanding performance. So those are just some of the meanings of the word crown. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a, a scripture or two under each category here, if you want to call it a category. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Do you have the ESV? Read that for me, please. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we and Okay, the beginning of it, every athlete. Every athlete exercises self-control. Okay, so when he says striving for the masteries, he's comparing this to the Olympic Games, I believe. And, of course, we see that now, don't we? So he says, uh, <clears throat> you stri- it's, it's temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, a gold medal, a gold wreath. Uh, uh, I, I think back then they gave a wreath. Uh, some type of wreath that they would put on the head. He says, but we strive for the masteries. We are in training to receive an incorruptible crown. So it's not subject to decay or death. That which we obtain is incorruptible. An incorruptible crown. It's not going to decay. It's not going to fade away. Death is not going to change it. When you physically die, that is not going to change a thing. The crown you have received will be there. And, and 
that's there for all eternity. It's something that, that is uh, placed upon the individual, and not necessarily the head. It's placed upon them, you know, upon their spirit. It's, it's, it's just there. Um, oh, I have it in another translation. All athletes are disciplined in their training. Are you disciplined in your training, Christian? See, have you decided, I am going to walk with God no matter what? See, have you disciplined yourself? How much discipline? It, it was interesting that somebody just made a comment a couple days ago that these athletes train all their lives, all their lives, from when they're little kids. They train in a particular event, and in two or three minutes, it's all done. All the training in two or three minutes, that, that's flea. It's an incorruptible crown. Whether they get gold, silver, or bronze doesn't matter. It's, it's fleeting. It's, it's done. Are you disciplined? Have you disciplined yourself? Or put it this way, have you allowed the Lord to work in you in a way to develop you for a particular way, a particular whatever it may be the Lord you know, has for you? Is he developing you? You know, is he doing something? Are we, like the athlete, are we disciplined to go to church? Are we disciplined to sit and, and read? Are we disciplined to, to sit before the Lord? Are, are we disciplined to say no to evil and to sin? See, see it's not a physical crown, crown here. It's something that's incorruptible. Now, if you'll remember... Paul says to the Philippians and to the Thessalonians that they were his crown. Remember that? Now turn just to 2 Corinthians. We'll read a couple of verses real quick. 2 Corinthians 11. He says to them that first he says, you are my crown to some of the churches. And the others he didn't say that to, to but they still would, would be. And he says, I want to present you pure to the Lord. So Paul had upon his heart the development of those that he preached to or taught, those that, that sat there in the churches under him. He had this on, on his heart that somehow through the word being ministered, they would develop and mature and that the Lord would be able to wash them and purify their heart and life to a point where he could say, I, present, I want to present you to the Lord. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11.2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealous, jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, he's talking about to Christ, that I may present you, you as a chaste virgin uh, to Christ. A, and chaste would mean pure virgin to Christ. So that was upon his heart that he would be able through the ministry to somehow that, that word or the ministry would help them that they would be purified so they could be, be uh, presented to Christ. But then he goes on, he says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve, through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the 
the simplicity or the singleness, that word means singleness, that is in Christ. So a person can be corrupted, if you will, as Paul uses that phrase. They can allow the impurity of the world, the impurity of sin, the impurity of others to affect them, and hence they would be not presented to Christ the way that Paul was talking about. And, and we'll get into something else in a little bit. Crowns can be taken. They can be taken. Do you know if the Lord works and he develops you and, and he crowns you, that that crown can be taken? Hold your place here. Um, but we're going to go to Colossians anyway. But we just read, listen, Revelation 3.11. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast, or hold on to that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. He, he says that to the, the pastor of the church, and probably some of the others there. Let no man, so see, man can take a crown from you. If you're not willing to give it up, they can't take it. But he, he says here that it's interesting. Just go back to Revelation 3 for a minute. Verse 11 is the one I just read here. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast to that which thou hast, um, that no man take thy crown. Now, if you back up a couple verses, in verse 8, it says here that they kept his word, and he did not deny his name, but yet the Lord is saying, even though you did that, you need to watch that no one takes your crown. In Colossians, I'll read this, Colossians 2.18. Do not let anyone who delights, and this is just an example that Paul's giving, delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize or disqualify you from the crown, you know, whatever the Lord is, is giving. Uh, another translation is, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying that they had visions about these things, and so on and so forth. So, crown, a crown can be taken. Now, let's move on. There are, there are three other crowns that are mentioned in different places. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So, there is a crown there, see. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. See, because of uh, living a righteous life, uh, at the end something awaits. There, there's a crown there that is, is, is given. And righteousness means excellency of character or excellency of virtue. So, so you, you, ha you want to have excellency of character, not your character, but the character of the Lord in you, well, that's going to be a crown. You will have that. You will keep that. Um, now, in this, this crown of, of righteousness, in this verse, uh, it, I believe is uh, the virtue or the quality of the one who is upright or the one who is approved of God. See, that's the quality of them. The, 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 that's just who they have become, what they've become. Righteous. You are to be righteous, and you will obtain a crown of righteousness. James 1.12 then you have this mentioned in several places. This is the crown of life. 
Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Do you see that? Read this verse. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried. So you see a temptation and, and a test. So, so you, will, you will be involved in tests. The Lord will test you. Satan will tempt you. We all experience that. There's no, no one that doesn't. It says, says, blessed is the man that endureth, endureth, endureth temptation. For when he is tried, or afterward, after he is tried and he's approved, he passed the test, he shall receive the crown of life. See, so passing a test or being in a test is not a, a bad thing. It's a good thing. How are you going to receive a crown of life if you don't go through the test? See, you can't receive that. So the Lord knows that. So he just makes sure that we periodically have some tests. He's just really nice, isn't he? <laughs> well, he is. He wants you to have something to cast before him. See, So, I mean, he doesn't want you to stand before him you know, empty. We just don't like the methods. We like the means. Not only like the means and the methods, we like the end result. But, you know... You hear that means justifies the end. Well, we view things from an earthly perspective that, that we don't realize how earthly-minded we can be. That's why we don't like the tests. I'm not saying you, you have to love it. I mean, there's a lot of tests I've gone through. I don't like them. But if you understand there's a purpose, then it makes it a little better. If you understand that he wants to crown you through that, that might even even make it a little easier for you. Say, well, you know, you know, I don't care if you're a human being. We have any human beings here tonight? If you're a human being, you're going to have trouble. I don't care who you are. You're going to have difficulty and suffering. It's just part of life. Why not let it work for you? Why not allow it to develop a crown of life for you? It's like, you're going to go through things anyway. Why not, you know, come out the other side with something of tremendous eternal value? I mean, it makes sense to me. But then again, I'm, I'm a little strange, I guess. Did I hear you agree? <laughs> That's okay. So it says here, for when he is tried or after he's a, a, approved, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love Agape, those that are dedicated to him. See, this, that's, remember that. See, the Lord has promised the crown to those that love him. Those that are, forget about the word love. Those who are dedicated to him. See, because if you're dedicated to him, you'll go through the test. You can say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, 50 times in church in 10 minutes. But that doesn't mean a whole lot. If you love me, keep my commandments. If, if, you, if you say, you love me, okay, I have something for you if you're dedicated to me. I'm going to give you a crown of life. See? You see how that works? Okay, let's, and, and by the way, this all, this crown of life relates to John 10.10. 10. I said this before, where Jesus said, I've come that they might have life initially, and that they might have it more abundantly. And the abundant life is something 
further on, something greater, something more full. Uh, it's beyond the initial life you get. It's still the life of God, but it's, it's something richer and, and purer. It's just it's dis- different. And so the Lord came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Well, to get that, he wants to you know, make sure that you come into this abundant life he's talking about, and this is just the method that he uses, and that's why you go through that and you end up with a crown of life. See, So it's nice. All right, Hebrews 2. Now, I'm not saying that the, you know, the difficulty in that is gonna, it's not going to make it easier. I'm just saying that in your thinking, if you see what the Lord is doing, you'll be more apt to stick it out and stay in there, you know, and say, I'm going to just push on with the Lord. That's, uh, to me, that's a big help. Okay, Hebrews 2, verse 9. So we looked at the crown of life, and now you see this in various scriptures called the crown of glory. But we see Jesus, verse 9, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So Jesus was crowned with glory and with honor, and you as a Christian, when you are finished with this life, should be crowned with glory and honor, believe it or not. The scriptures show that, and I'll show you a couple other scriptures. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear... Ye, ye, you, you, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So there's a lot the Lord wants to, you know, give you as a Christian. Well, how are you going to obtain uh, the glory of God? How, how do you get the glory of God? There's different examples in the scriptures that, that show you that. Now, I've talked about it in a, a couple classes. But the sufferings of this present time. Do you hear that? The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So suffering, going through certain things in God and walking with him in those things, will bring about glory in your life. And the Lord can do such a work there where you're you're crowned with glory, see. That's something that's there. It's upon you. You'll take that with you forever and ever and ever. Uh, Second Timothy. And I'll read this from the Amplified. We'll read it from both, maybe. Second Timothy 2.5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. Uh, and, and when he says lawfully, it doesn't mean according to the Mosaic laws, but it's talking about the law of the Lord. See, that, that which the Lord allows and permits in your life personally. See, you have to, to go by what he shows you. And I've, I've given you an example about some of the things that I've done recently, and the Lord corrected me. See, now that's, you have, it says if you're going to be crowned, you have to strive lawfully. Not by the, not by the, the commandments, not talking about the Mosaic law or anything like that. He's talking about, the law of the Lord. And the law of the Lord is what he comes and shows you. So there you, you know, you're wherever you work and, you know, you do something to someone 
and the Lord shows you that that's wrong. You, you move in a certain way, and in your heart, you, you just, not like the Lord just speaks audibly to you, but you, in your spirit, you just like, yeah, I know where it's wrong. I, you know, I, that's not what I should have done. Well, that is the law of the Lord coming to you and showing you, you know, what you need to do, what you shouldn't do, and then he, he helps you to correct that. Well, he says here, if you want to be crowned, you have to strive lawfully. You have to do it according to the rules. Well, what rules? Let me go look up 50 or 60 of them. No. What the Lord is bringing to you and showing you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word presently proceeding out of the mouth of God. That's what man should live by. See, so what's proceeding out of, oh, you have this bad attitude. That's proceeding out of the mouth of God to you. You, you know that. You know, it comes to you. You see it. Well, now you have to take some action. And just hearing it's not enough. And okay, now, Lord, okay, I see it. Let's, um, let's get this thing taken care of, and you know, I'll do what I can do, and the Lord will help you. So that's striving lawfully. So he that is crowned, you know, you have to play by the rules. And you know who sets up the rules, don't you? The Lord. Why does he set up the rules? Because he doesn't like you. No, it's not because he doesn't like you. It's quite the opposite. Because he doesn't want to let you do what you want to do. No, that's not it either. Oh, it's just the way we are, isn't it? Please, if you don't ever understand anything, remember the Lord really loves you and cares for you. That's why he comes to correct you when you need it. No, he doesn't correct you all the time. The Lord doesn't correct me you know, all the time. He does it when I need it. You don't correct your kids all the time. I hope you don't. You only correct them when you really need to. If, if there's something that you see that may be destructive to them, you have, as a parent, you have to intervene. That's your job. And sometimes the intervention, you have to learn how to intervene, too, you know. It's very tricky. You just can't just, like one guy was just telling me, he says that, that uh, his, his father, when he was a kid, when he'd do something wrong, his father would beat him with a rubber hose or take off his belt, and he would hit him with his belt, and usually it was with the buckle side. And the guy was beat up a lot. Well, that's not how you intervene. I'm glad the Lord isn't like that. The Lord doesn't do that. He'll come, and he'll just very gently, this is what you, did you, did, that wasn't right. Oh, yes, Lord, I know. Forgive me and help me. Let's move on. The Lord's very gentle. He's meek and lowly. And how are we supposed to be? Meek and lowly. We're supposed to take on the same character of the Lord. You know that. Humble your heart. Humble yourselves in the, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Forget about the exaltation. Just humble yourselves. That's all you need to worry about. So if anyone enters... Uh, competitive games, he is not crowned unless he completes, uh, competes lawfully, fairly, according to the rules laid down. Now, go back in closing to Revelation 3. Now, remember that things in the Bible, a lot of times one thing relates to another thing. And you, you'll see this here when we read this. The crowns received by an individual would be the result of overcoming like we talked about last week. Now, Revelation 11, excuse me, 3, 11, 
Behold, I come quickly, hold fast to that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make. See, so you see how that's right next to uh, the, the two thoughts running right next to each other in that, uh, the two verses. That's because there's no verses, numbers in the Greek. It's, the, it's running right next to it, see. So the, cr the crowns, the crown, whatever it may be that you would receive as a Christian uh, would be the result of overcoming, and, and that would be overcoming whatever it is that you may have to overcome in your walk today or next month or next year or five years from now, whatever it may be. Uh, in Rome, uh, excuse me, Revelation 6, you can see it in this verse also, the this, this same thought. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering, or he went forth overcoming. So you see the thought there is running parallel again of um, a crown and overcoming, so whatever it is that he's given to do. So it's the same basic thought. So the Lord wants to work in our lives and do things that we are not many times aware of. That's why I think that it's good to be a church. It's good to sit under the ministry of the word because many times the Lord can, can quicken a thought to you or he can bring something out to you to show you how the Spirit of God is moving and how he wants to move with us as Christians to obtain a particular end in our lives. We're not to just be just as a Christian and just be like scattered, like we just you know do this, that, and the other thing, and we have no means uh, to understand anything about anything. The Lord wants us to start to see in his word how the Spirit of God wants to, to work in our lives to bring us someplace, and not just to heaven. Heaven's secondary, you know that, right? Heaven is not the goal in the Bible, ever. It's, not, it's never the goal. Jesus didn't talk about heaven as a goal. He talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about a lot of other things, but not as a goal in and of itself. If you walk with God and he starts putting of his character into you, there is no other place in the universe for you to go when you die but to heaven. There's not going to be any other place for you. So don't worry about going to heaven. Worry about walking with God and letting him do what he needs to do. And, and you'll be placed where you are to be placed in the kingdom. Okay, we'll stop there. We'll continue next week.